Um, in, our, in our present series, The Good and Beautiful Community, we've been looking at a number of attributes that Jesus um, describes about the church, and he really not just describes, but he also lays out, gives some aspirations to in terms of what is the community of Christ, the people that he calls together, the people that he calls to follow him, and then when he sends the disciples out into the rest of the world, what are the attributes that are to be, to be marks of the church? When people think about the church, what should they think, you know, about, about the people who make it up, about us? What should be marks? And so we've been looking at a, at a number of um, uh, assertions that James Brown Smith put together in his Good and Beautiful Community book, and, and they're really just things that, that bubble up, if you will, from the pages of Scripture. We've talked about how the church is a peculiar community and about how the church is a hospitable community and a serving community. We didn't we didn't talk about it being a Christ-centered community because that was two weeks ago when it snowed and, and I was going to get to preach about that. And then, you know, I started thinking about today when I looked at the weather and I'm like, we're not even going to get to talk about the encouraging community, but, but we'll get to do that today. We talked about how it's a reconciling community. Uh, all of these are marks of the, the church. They're marks when the church is really good, when it's really paying attention to Jesus, when it's walking in the ways of Jesus, these are the marks that, that are on display. And people can see them. Now, they, they don't always, they're not always on display because sometimes the church misses the sight of Jesus or we get out of the way of Jesus. But these are the things that Jesus calls us to. And these are the things that Scripture keeps bringing us back to. What are the, what are the attributes that we're supposed to find within ourselves? So today we're going to talk about the encouraging community. If you have your Bibles with you or if you have a, you know, something you can read a Bible on, I would encourage you to, to get that out and go to Philippians 4. We're going to be dealing with this text, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Philippians 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 together today. Um, one of the fascinating things about the book of Philippians is that it is, is one of the most encouraging letters that Paul writes to a church. It is filled with the word, it has the word joy more than any other letter that Paul writes. It's filled with this utter sense of happiness. In fact, the, ver the first verse goes something like this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this, in this way, my beloved. Um, right there, you, you begin to see Paul's sense of joy or how he has a sense of pride. When he writes to the church at Philippi, Paul writes from a prison in Rome and he writes to a kind of nondescript town with people who make up the church who, are, who, who don't have great reputations. I mean, they're not the reputable people of Philippi. They're just people who've been attracted to the message of Jesus, and they've come around Paul, and they've, they've listened to what Paul says about who Jesus is. They've listened to the gospel, and they've given themselves to it. And so in the course of Paul's life, in the course of his ministry, they've paid great attention to where God has taken him, what God has been up to in his life, and they've sacrificed uh, on, on their behalf, they sacrificed for Paul. When Paul was in Corinth, the Philippians sent things to support Paul and his ministry in Corinth. And it raised a big stink in the, in the church in Corinth. And if you want to read about it, go to 2 Corinthians. You can read all about that. Because the people in Corinth are like, why do, why do you accept the help from the people in Philippi? And Paul says, because they are part of what God's a part of God's ministry and God's blessing and God's joy in my own life. And so in this first verse, you, you begin to see that. And you see that actually all throughout the text of Philippians. Paul has this, just this joy, this utter happiness. Whenever he thinks about the church in Philippi, 
he just thinks God is up to something great, and he has this incredible love for the people who are there. And so he rejoices. He says, you know, on the one hand, he says, I, I think about you as brothers and sisters, and yet he, he talks almost like a parent, like a proud parent, where he says, you know, I just, every time I think of you. But then he goes on to say, the second part of this verse is, he says, stand firm in the Lord in, in this way, my beloved. Because he knows that wherever a church is at, wherever people who are following Jesus are at, um, they face challenges, different, different challenges to be sure. Everybody has their own unique set of challenges that they face, but they face some challenges within Philippi. And some of the challenges are exterior, and some of the challenges that they face are interior. In verse 2, we're going to go to verse 2 right now, um, we find out what some of the interior challenges of the church in Philippi are. Uh, Paul says this, I urge Eudea and I urge uh, Synthi to be of the same mind in the Lord, Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, and we don't know his who his loyal companion is, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of, the, of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Um, when Paul writes this, uh, he, has this um, he has this capacity to bring up things that some of us may be uncomfortable with. I don't know if how you approach conflict in your own life. I am am wired up typically to approach conflict in, in one of two ways. Sometimes uh, I'll gauge whether the conflict is important enough or not important enough. And I don't, if I don't think it's important enough, then I'll just kind of walk away. I don't know if you do that, but, but that's one of my natural dispositions. My other natural disposition is to, to face it head on, but, you know, to get something worked up inside of me. And so it's not just facing it head on, but it's facing it with some, with some forcefulness. And, uh, a common way that those have been been described throughout human history is that we either uh, approach conflict with fight or flight, one of those two things, pretty natural for most people. Paul doesn't do either one of those. He knows through the word of, uh, of a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, who we hear about in chapter 3, that there's a conflict that is taking place within the church at Philippi. And it's a conflict between two women, Eudea and Sinti. Now, we don't really know what the conflict entails. We don't know what it surrounds, what, what's at the center of its nature. But we know that there's a disagreement. In, in truth, we don't know that the disagreement is between them although many people think that it is. In fact, some people suggest that EUD and Synchthi are two people who've been co-laborers in the gospel, and yet that their, that their um, conflict has risen to the point where they have taken it outside of the walls of the church, and they're actually in the civil courts, and that they're taking one another to court. Some other, other people look at this text, and they've looked at, the, at what's happening in the broader life of the Church of Philippi, and they suggest that the conflict isn't between EUD and Synchthi necessarily, but the conflict is with, they, they may be actually going outside of the church in some way. Paul is not necessarily clear about what the conflict is. What he knows is, is that there's something that exists there. And there's something that needs to be faced. And it needs to be faced in a certain way. It needs to be faced recognizing the fact that EUD and Synchthi are people who have labored in the way of Jesus. They know the way of Jesus. They love Christ. They may be disagreeing with one another, but they are people who have, who have walked arm in arm. And they are people, neither one of them, are people that Paul is, is ready to see go into a different place. No, Paul says, you need to come back and, and we need to have a conversation. 
Um, in fact, Paul doesn't just say that the two of you need to have a conversation, but when he writes to the church at Philippi, he says, you know, my fellow companion, and we don't know who his fellow companion is, but he says, my fellow companion, and then he writes about Clement. He says, I want you people to attend to EUD and Sancti. I want you to come around them, and I want you to encourage them. I want you to care about where they're at. I don't want you to just write them off, but I want you to see that they are people in whom God rests, God resides, and God cares about. And I want you to help them work through this. Uh, James Bryan Smith in, in The Good and Beautiful Community talks about the gift that has been given to us in, in what's reflected in those people who come around us. Uh, he talks about the essentialness of, of somebody who's an accountability partner. In fact, um, John Wesley described Paul's facing E.D. and Sicty in this way, in some of the kindest compassion possible. That He said Paul just squared up to them in the kindest compassion possible. James Ryan Smith says, you know, a lot of us can gain a lot of, of strength and we can gain a sense of truthfulness when we have somebody who will come around us and they'll listen to us, they'll pray for us, they'll speak truth to us. Um, some of you know that I've, I've been on a, a journey the past couple of years. The journey is, is within an academic um, trajectory, and I'm working on a dissertation. And for those of you who've ever worked on a dissertation, you know what, what the word work means. It's something that, that stays with you. It, it's something that can wake you up at odd hours of the night. It's something that you can't let go of. And sometimes you, you find that you do let go of it. And you're not supposed to let go of it. And it's got all kinds of ramifications that just go on. And if you don't know what that is, is like, count yourself blessed. Okay? Just count yourself blessed if you don't know what that experience is like. But it's, a, it's an experience that uh, takes a lot of, of patience and obedience and just uh, endurance. And sometimes you can, get, you can get tired and you can get off track along the way. Uh, a few months ago, um, I was not making a lot of progress on my dissertation and so we're part of a, a life group, and in that life group, um, somebody began asking me the question, like, how are you doing on your dissertation? And I just said, it's not, uh, well, it's there. I do some reading, but I don't do everything I should. And so she said, well, what, what could be of help to you? How could we get you moving along the way? I said, well, one of the things I need is a, I need a, a reflection team. Some people who will, like, read with me, and they'll encourage me, and they'll pray for me. And she said, okay. So she started working on putting a reflection team together around me. And then I started meeting with the reflection team. And they, I started sharing with them my writing, and, th and they started to read it. And some of them started to write all over it, like in red ink. Like, have you ever <laughs> thought that red ink could be encouraging? It is. It is. If you've ever been in one of those, they start writing all over it with red ink. And then I started sharing my timeline, and some of the people on the reflection team said, you can't keep your timeline. There's just not enough, because they've been down that road, you know. They've written dissertations themselves, some of them, and they said, you're, you're too adventurous here, or the, the pace that you've got for yourself, you need to slow it down. In fact, they came back, and um, my entire team just really centered around this one point. They said, you're trying to read, you're trying to write, but the first thing you need to do is pray. The first thing you need to do is pray. Even when you go out someplace and you're going to write, you need to pray first. Um, in a place of grace and truth and seeing what might be, they, they spoke truth into my life. Uh, Paul, when he writes to the church at Philippi, to two people who are, 
maybe in disagreement with one another, certainly around a disagreement. He encourages others to come around them and speak truth in a place of love and compassion and grace. It's a great gift that we have as a church to do that for one another and to do that for other people. So Paul, in verse 2 and 3, says he squares up and he says, let's have an intervention. And then in verse 4 and following, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's incredible what Paul does there, where he, he first he faces up to this reality of a disagreement, and then when he says, you know, if you, if you face that head-on and you do it with grace and truth, it's incredible what's going to flow out of that. There is going to be this rejoicing. There's going to be this sense of encouragement. There's going to be this... Um, all the goodness of God is just going to be present there. Because when people are encouraged, they're encouraged in the ways of Jesus. Um, and they listen to, to what Jesus has to say. They find themselves in a place where their hearts are re-engaged in what Jesus is doing. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jim, he sat down with a couple people from Schweitzer, uh, Tony and Vicki Thomason. And Tony and Vicki Thomason began their kind of conversation with Pastor Jim talking about how Early on in their life, they had been in church. And then through a number of, of um, discouraging things, they kind of found that they were outside of church for a long time. And then they came back to Schweitzer, and they found themselves in a place um, of being encouraged. And we'd like to show you some of that interview right now. Well, for me, um, the encouragement has been fantastic. Recently, I've gone through some health issues and I know I've received so much prayer. So many people, you know, have, have just really encouraged me and been blessings to me. Um, I know I can talk to someone here at any time. Um, people are so open here. Uh, we've been invited into classes, which have meant a lot to both of us. Uh, we've been through the G12. This is our third class now, and that's been fantastic. And um, in everyday life, you do need the encouragement, especially when you've been out of church for so long. You know, um, living a Christian life is something you're not necessarily used to. And so the encouragement you receive on, you know, a weekly basis uh, and the prayers you received are extremely helpful in living the way the Lord wants you to live and brings you closer to Him. Uh, the ongoing series... Uh, of the G12 and uh, the false narratives and, and addressing the false narratives. I think that if you were to uh, list all of them that they have covered thus far and given clarification to, uh, over 90% of them uh, have been a factor in my life church life and, and the perception that I've seen. So uh, blowing the shroud off mm -hmm. all of those uh, false narratives and getting down to the core of Christ's love and that He doesn't want to change you first. Mm -hmm. He first wants to love you, let you know that you are loved and by that love power 
you want to change, you want to improve, and it's not under what you think a Christian is supposed to do, but what you know Christ has led you to do, and where you are when he needs you to step forward, you'll feel it so overpoweringly that uh, you're ready, and he makes sure that you're ready when he needs you to do something. You're you're enabled, you're equipped to do it. I think yeah. the other thing we have found too here is we both um, grew up in very legalistic churches. You know, there wasn't a lot of joy in the church, not a lot of joy in going to church, and we found that to be completely different here too. Um, I mean, I think you hear more about God's love and and uh, than I've ever heard in my life. And the other thing I've really noticed being at a church so long is how much the church serves the community and is out there actually helping people and making a difference in their everyday lives, which is something I, I don't think I've ever seen before. And um, in serving people, you bring people to the Lord, which is extremely important. And we've both been impressed with that. One of the things that um, Tony and Vicki are, uh, one of the places they find themselves today is they, they face a number of challenges. You know, through the encouraging community that's around them, especially their G12s and in the sense of joy, they're able to face those things with a, a lack of, of uh, a worry and a great confidence in God. Um, today, I don't know, you probably all have a cell phone. You've got something with you that you can write and you can text somebody with. Um, Vicki really talked about how they found this sense of joy that just kind of bubbles up all throughout the life of Schweitzer. Uh, I bet you know somebody right now today who needs a word of encouragement. You know, some, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's somebody who's, who's far away. If, if any of you have Jim Voigt's a number in your contact list, Jim Voigt today is launching a new church start up in, is it Columbia? Yeah, Columbia. So um, I want to encourage you right now, get your phone out. And uh, I have a flip phone, old school, so it's going to take me a while to do this. So I want you to get your phone out. Get your iPad, whatever you got, and I want you to text somebody. I want you to pull, pull somebody out of your contact list and say, I'm going to send an encouraging note. We're not going to wait for this. to. We're not going to give you this assignment for later today. It's right now, right now. So get it out and let's go, and there'll be dead air.
I just sent Pastor Jim a text, but he can't get it because he left his phone somewhere else. <laughs> Killing me. All right, you keep texting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us on to the next, the next passage, the next portion of this text. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Paul says this, Finally, beloved, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing these things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, Paul, writes, Paul writes to a church, and you'd think that after following Jesus for a long time that you, you'd start saying, you know, these are some deeper things you can do or these are some more advanced things you can do. And in verse 8, he just he comes back to some, some very simple virtues that reflect the good and the beautiful nature of God. And in doing so, Paul is saying, look, following in the ways of Jesus is not something that's, that you've got to make overly complicated, but it's something that <clears throat> you have to strive for and you have to endure at and you have to encourage one another on. It's not something that you have to um, make too complicated. In fact, the more complicated you make it, the, the less good and holy and right that it is. But when you follow in these ways, you'll find that you encourage one another and you encourage the people around you. A couple of weeks ago, I was with a, a group from Schweitzer, and we were in California doing some research for the Transformation Hub project that we're um, working on here at Schweitzer. And we went to this place called Homeboy Industries. And while we were at Homeboy, we met a young guy by the name of Matthew. And um, Matthew's a, a person. Do we have a picture of Matthew back there? There you go. Matthew uh, started telling us his story out on the, the garden terrace. He was, told us about where he was raised, told us about his home life, told us about how he grew up in a in a home that was just kind of influenced and surrounded by gang life. That's what he knew. By the time he was 14, 15, 16, he was in and out of prison. He said the only time he ever left L.A. to go into the country was when he left L.A. on a bus going to a prison. And then he'd come back. Then he told us, you know, his ups and downs in life. There were lots of ups, lots of downs. The ups were high. The downs were, were, were really down. And then he said, one time I was on the on the metro train in, in L.A., and I, uh, the metro train stopped outside of Homeboy Industries, and I saw it. He'd been there when he was 14 and at 18 or 19. He saw this building again. He said, and I don't know what took place, but it was like something pulled me out of the train. Reese didn't grab me and pulled me out of the train. I got out, and I went down, and I checked in at Homeboy's. Now, Homeboy's is a, is a place where uh, they invite people like, like Matthew into, into jobs where they can work. They also invite them into uh, some life skill classes and some su support classes. Like they've got Gang Members Anonymous. Uh, you know, you've heard of Alcoholics Anonymous and Drug Addicts Anonymous. They've got Gang Members Anonymous that they run. Uh, they've got tattoo removals, and, and Matthew's all, he's working on some, getting some tattoos removed, especially here around his neck that has the gang that he was a part of. Um, he said, I don't know what pulled me out of that place, but I found myself at Homeboy once again. And I was working, and then as I was working, somebody invited me to a retreat, and they said we were going out into the countryside. He said, that was the scariest thing in my life. 
when they said, we're going to leave the city and we're going to go out into this place out in the middle of nowhere. He's like, I don't think I want to go. But uh, he found himself at that place. And at that place, uh, he found himself at another spot. They, he said, we had, they made us enter into this place where we would walk for, um, in silence with nobody else around us. It's never been in that spot in my entire life where there wasn't, you know, some music or there wasn't noise. There was, it was just dead silence. So here I am out in the wilderness, a very scary spot with no noise, another very scary spot. Well, out in that place, God, who often chooses to speak in silence, spoke. Spoke in a very unique way that, that Matthew could hear. At the beginning of his conversation with us, Matthew said, you know, I, I used to really despise my name. You know, it's not a name that fits well in, in the hood, in, in the gangs. But out there, he said, I learned that my name has another meaning, and that meaning is gift of God. See, Matthew was invited and engaged into a community that saw him not as who he was or what he had done, but saw him who he was made to be and what he could become. And all along the way, they encouraged him. They kept rejoicing over his life and inviting him into a, the way of Jesus. <clears throat> and Matthew f- is finding the good and beautiful community. Um, that's what God intends for Matthew and all the Matthews that are like him and all of us and all the people you're around. James Bryan Smith encourages us to think about getting an accountability partner because sometimes, you know, you need somebody to hold you accountable. You need somebody to prod you on. You need somebody to say, maybe you need a place of silence. Um, that's, a, that's a great endeavor for a soul training exercise. Today, we'd like to invite you to, to one other endeavor. You've already texted somebody, hopefully. If you haven't, you can do that later. But there's one other thing we'd like to encourage you to do. If you're a part of a if you're part of a group of some kind, a, a G12, a life group, Sunday school class, if, if you've got uh, people who are going to gather around your table today at, at some point, we would invite you to take a few minutes and just look at everybody who's around that table and just speak some words of encouragement to them. Now, um, and we would like to say that the people who receive the word of encouragement can say, can say two words, you know, thank you. That's it. Thank you. And for that kind of exercise, we suspect that there will be a lot of uncomfortable people in the room. Most likely, the, the recipients will be uncomfortable. But that's okay. Because each and every one of us need to know, we need to be encouraged by who God sees us and how other people see us. And so we would encourage you to embark upon that gift of grace and encouragement and compassion. To share with one another um, how somebody blesses you and how you see them. And just maybe, God in the midst of all of that will speak. And it won't just be people encouraging one another, but the Holy Spirit himself will bring fire to our hearts. This is God's will for us and our world. Amen.